Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Welcome to everyone. Nice to see you all. Hope everyone's feeling uh, healthy. Hope people are uh, avoiding as much as possible this new um, stage of the pandemic. I think we're <clears throat> heading into a zone where a lot of people we know at any given moment uh, are dealing with it or are exposed to it. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm doing this from my home is that we had an exposure. I'm, I'm feeling fine and everyone in my family is fine, but someone in my family tested positive. We we, ident- we isolated from that person as soon as that there were symptoms. Um, that person is out of quarantine already, but in the abundance of caution, I'm not coming back to the uh, office for at least a few days. Um, but that doesn't really impact this class because we're doing this digitally anyway. Um, but it does show us that we're a little farther than we thought we might be from gathering together in person and studying, which I know we're all going to really look forward to as soon as that can that can happen again. Um, okay, I have us um, in, in the middle, excuse me, in the middle of a Rashi on chapter four of the book of Exodus, verse uh, 21. Right. So to get into the verse, um, chapter four, verse 21, one second, people are still coming in. So just letting them in. Um, and we um, spent a long time already in this verse and several times already pushed forward to the set of verses that are coming up. These wonderful and inscrutable verses uh, with Moshe and Sipor Loi back to Egypt. Um, and we'll 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 get to those verses soon enough. But. For now, let's hold off kind of anticipating those verses more, and let's just uh, stay inside these verses. So verse 21, Vayomer Adonai al-Moshe, this is after the Torah said that he had picked up his stuff and and uh, mounted his um, wife and child on the donkey. And after it says that he had either returned all the way to Egypt or started that return, Torah says, Vayomer Adonai al-Moshe, God said to Moshe, Belech t'chalashub mitzrayma, in your going to return to Egypt, uh, thanks to the person who pointed that out again, the either idiomatic or not idiomatic notion of uh, uh, of combining the verb to go and the word to return, Mitzrayim, to Egypt. All of the wonders that I have placed in your hand, you should do all of those magic tricks, as it were, in front of Pharaoh. I will stiffen, strengthen. We spent a long time with that. His heart, the first time um, we're hitting it, that notion that we're going to hit that many times in the next few chapters. And all the problems of that language invites as we think about uh, the, uh, free will and punishment for, um, for violating norms. Um, I'll put an interesting parenthesis in there in a second. The lo uh, and Pharaoh will uh, will not send will not agree to send the the people. We dealt with the first Rashi on Belechtecha Lashuv Mitzrayma, where he seems to be saying, "Lest you think that um, that God is is giving Moshe another set of uh, t- tasks here or instructions, he's simply saying to him, Dasha Abanat came know uh, that be, in order be, because of this, in order to do this, Telech, the reason why." You are going back as for this reason, Shetehegibor, that you be heroic, Bishlichuto, Bishlichuti, excuse me, in my in, in representing me as my Shaliach, 
to do all of my great wonders in front of Pharaoh, uh, and you shall not be um, you shall not be afraid of him. That's how far we got. And there's the next Rashi on that verse. Barry, I see your hand. Just a bit redundant, uh, going back. This is Moshe is returning. And we had this discussion and question whether uh, his wife and child were coming also. I think uh, just want to re- restate that. Yeah, good. So both in the previous verse where... They're on the donkey, but it's a singular verb by Yashov Artsamishvayim that he returns to Egypt. Again, here in this verse, you know, God is certainly addressing Moshe in the first person, uh, in the first person, sorry, second person singular, in in your return to Egypt, not your plural return to Egypt. Correct. Um, okay, so let's pick up at the second Rashi Asher Santi Viadecha. Um, Let's see. Um, uh, Joanna, do you want to read Asher Santi Rashians, Asher Santi Viadecha? Sure. Um, hold on. Verse Kafalef, right? Yeah, the second Rashi in verse. Yes, Kafalef. I'm with you. Asher Santi Viadecha. Lo al shalosh otot ha amurot lemala, shahare lo lifne farot sivala asotam, ala lifne Yisrael. Okay, so pause, so pause there. Do that part first. Okay. We're not talking here about the three signs um, that we discussed earlier, the first three signs that um, God gave to Moshe, um, because those were to be done in front of, God commanded to do in front of Paro. Um, now here we're talking about um, what Moshe will do in front of Yisrael that they will believe him. Flip, flip uh, it, Joanna. So, um, Shahare lo lifnei farot siva Israel. Right. That these are not to be done. The, these were not the, here. This is not what was commanded to be done in front of Paro, but in front of B'nai Israel, so that B'nai Israel would believe him. Right. And if everyone just turns back quickly to the beginning of this chapter that we've been luxuriating in for a long time, this whole scene of Moshe and the um, and the you know, putting his hand inside his his um, his tunic and it coming out um, leprous, et cetera, and the and the uh, and the staff turning into something magical. It's all in the context, not of Moshe's needing weaponry to go in front of Pharaoh to convince Pharaoh to let them go. But if you look at the beginning of chapter four, after God had had a long speech about sending Moshe into Egypt, Moshe's response and Moshe's nervousness is not about Pharaoh, but about Israel. Moshe responded and said, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to heed my voice. For they will say, God did not appear to you. And God says, wait a second, I've got something for you. God said to him, what is that in your hand? It's the, it's the staff, et cetera, et cetera. So all of the, of the wonders that we've seen, the moftim that we've seen, were not Pharaoh-based moftim. They were Israel-based moftim. So here in our verse, Rashi is saying, is asking and, and answering the same, the same sentence. When God says, 
um, to Moshe, look at all the wonders I've already placed in your hand. The reader natural things, oh yeah, those are the miracles we just saw. Rashi says it can't be those because those were explicitly for the Israelite perspective, not the Pharaoh, not Pharaoh's perspective. So that's where we are so far in the Rashi. Go ahead. Um, Ella Moftim Shani Atid Lasum I think you skipped four words. Belomatsinu. Yes, sorry. Belomatsinu She Asaam Lefanav. Ella Moftim Shani Atid Lasum Biatrabemitraim. Kemo Kiyadaber Alechem Paro Vigomer. Okay. Uh, so, as it says so, in Shmotzayin. Okay, so do that do that part first. Okay. And um we haven't yet or he hasn't yet done um put them in front of him. I'm interpreting this as God hasn't yet put these signs in front of Moshe. Um rather these are the signs that I will in the future put in your hand in Mitzrayim. Um, as it says later in uh, chapter seven of Shemot, when um, I'm trying to give this context off the top of my head, I think it must be there, God in front of Moshe saying, when you are about to go and speak to Paro um, and the continuation. Right. So if you look at the screen that I'm sharing, chapter seven, Parshad Ba'era, um, we're going to, obviously in our studies, slow this down a lot. And this, when you're reading through the Parsha, sometimes it's easy to forget the number of times there's Moshe being dispatched himself, and then Moshe and Aaron being dispatched as a duo. So we get in the beginning of Parsha Ve'era, or maybe the middle of Parsha Ve'era, that Moshe and Aaron together, after Aaron had greeted Moshe, are standing before God, before the encounter with Pharaoh. By Yomer Nai Moshe more, God spoke to both of them saying, Ki ber alechem parole more, when, when um, Pharaoh says to you, give us a sign, meaning prove to us that you're, you stand for something rather than are just you know, two human beings who walked in off the street. You'll say to Aaron at that time, take your staff, Aaron, and throw it in front of Pharaoh to become a serpent. Tova, you're right that one of the, um, of the Moftim, one of the signs that Moshe and Aaron do in front of Pharaoh is similar to one of the, one of the three signs that has happened in chapter four. Rashi is um, very focused on our understanding that those are, that's a different, that, that it's a different sign and that the one referred to here in chapter seven, verse nine has not yet been given by God to Moshe and Aaron to do as a duo. And it's different in some way than the ability that Moshe has to convince the Israelites, even though one of them is the same. So Rashi is saying, um, and if you could go back a little bit, uh, Joanna, the phrase, I think what Rashi means there is, and it's not only that what's happened so far in chapter four has been explicitly in order to convince the Israelites, Below Matsino, we the readers don't even find Sha'asa'am that he, Moshe, did them. What's to them? Those three signs, Lifanav in front of Pharaoh. Meaning it may be that one of them finds its way into expression with Moshe and Aaron, but you never have Moses standing in front of Pharaoh 
doing the trio of signs that are described in chapter four, which is why Rashi is at pains to say that Asher Santi Viadecha, these signs that I've placed in front of you, are not the ones that we've just described, even though those are the natural antecedents. Now, um, one second, Barry. That um, um, begs the question that Rashi is about to put words to. So keep going, Joanne, and then we'll and then we'll we'll deal with the whole comment altogether. But let's just get through it. But, but just to, to comment quickly on what you said in your explanation of the low mitzinu, um, it's fascinating because so many times in Torah, right, people are given instructions and then we don't get like one line and so did Noah. We get in excruciating detail, like almost a repeat of those instructions as they're actually followed and carried out. So it seems almost like so glaringly missing here that that we don't find that pattern here where instructions were given by God and we hear in excruciating detail how they were carried out. If I'm following your if I'm following your point correctly, you're saying like just as like Vayakel and Pakude are are like lots of detail description of of what of what was commanded in Teruma and Tetzava actually being carried out, like Vayaskane, 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 and we don't have that here. Right. I think Rashi's making a somewhat different point. He's not saying that we're not told that Moshe did what he was asked to do. I think Rashi's saying, and we can disagree with Rashi, that Moshe was never told by God in chapter four, do these in front of Pharaoh. And so therefore, when when God says in this verse, the moftima shir samti biadecha, the signs that I've placed before you, it doesn't refer to the three that we've been thinking about in this chapter because Moshe, Moshe was never instructed to do them in front of Pharaoh. And as we'll see in the upcoming encounter, he doesn't do them as a trio in front of Pharaoh. Right. right. Not that we're not told that he doesn't, but the reason why we're not told that he doesn't is because he doesn't, which means there must be a reference to a different Mofet. And this is not the only way to read, read the verse. You could say, as Toba says, you know, I'm, I, God, am giving you, Moshe, three magic tricks. Right. Um, and, you, and, and when you get in front of Pharaoh, you'll figure out which of the, you know, which of the one you should do that's most effective. And behold, one of them is the one that we've already, I've already taught you how to do. Rashi, for some reason, which on a meta level, I'm not sure I can truly divine, doesn't want to read it that way. Um, right. So, yeah. So that's a different nuance than what I was saying. Yes. Let, let me let Joanna finish the, the Altitma and then we'll get to Barry and Larry, and Larry Diane. And and I forgot your granddaughter's name, but it seems that like she has something she wants to say also. Um, I'm sure she'll have more insight over this <laughs> combined. Okay. Uh, the Altitma. The Altitma Asher Ketiv Asher Samti Shekain Mashmao Kshatidaber Imo and as Joanna is translating, everyone should think about everything they know about tenses in grammar and perfect tense and pluperfect tense. There's no way to make sense of what Rashi is saying here if we can't think about the different layers of even past tense verbs. Okay. So helpful that you just made that comment because I was confused, but now I think I'm not. Okay. Okay, so don't be surprised that it says Asher Samti, and based on your comment, if I'm understanding correctly, that it says Asher Samti, past tense, as if this already happened, because um, this is what it means. 
when when he when Moses will speak with Pharaoh so like you know jump ahead and think about chapter 7 for a moment in that moment at the moment when this will be happening it will have happened in the past already perfect right and in fact if i go back to my 7th grade latin i think that's the super perfect not the pluperfect right something when i say i will have done this I'm anticipating a moment in the future where something by then will have been in the past tense, but it's not yet in the past tense, right? I think that's super perfect, but I, could, I might be getting that word wrong. It's been a long time since I studied that idea. And, and the reason why Rashi has to say this is that he's now gone to great lengths to say, whatever team are being, future perfect, thank you. Whatever um, um, team are being referred to in this verse they're not the ones that we have been exposed to. And therefore, you reader can say, it shouldn't be God saying, I share something that I've placed in your hands, but I share a that I will place in your hands. No, but it means by the time you're in that moment where you are about to stand in front of Pharaoh, I will have given you more tricks to do by then. And therefore, from that perspective, exactly as you said, you end up by chapter seven, there will be a relative Santi. By then, I will already have. Good. Um, okay, um, I saw some hands, so let's see what's uh, hanging out in the, in the, amongst the, um, the class members. Let's start with you, Barry. Uh, it, it's been said. Um, in, the, in the text, uh, there's no mention of a staff. God's talking to Moshe uh, uh, on his way back. Re'e uh, call Hamoftin. Uh, don't don't look at the staff. Look at the signs uh, in your hand. So uh, the, uh, the, the reading reading it literally. Uh, don't don't look at the staff in your hand. Look at the signs. Uh, and uh, so uh, that's what Rashi is trying to figure out is if it's not the staff, what's in his hand? Yeah, it's evocative of the parsha of Revelation, where it's Vayar Takolot. They saw they they saw the sounds right. Um, and I remember, I think I've shared this with you before, that when you grew up in Connecticut, that wasn't a weird thing because the on the, the shore of southern Connecticut is a Long Island Sound. So we saw the sound all the time. Um, but For human frailty, we've already seen the staff doing things. So our mind is seeing the staff, but it's not in his hand now, not, not in this phrase. It is. Uh, we, we didn't linger on that when we read the verse last week, this notion of the, the God asking him not not to look at the instrument by which the signs are being done but to look at the signs it's hard to look at a sign that hasn't been done yet maybe we have to read that ray as consider right um but you're right it's hard it's hard to look at a conceptual wonder right um it's 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 one if you can look at a thing through which the wonder is going to merge but it's hard to look at the concept of a wonder or a miracle good uh rick and then tova and larry diane if your hand went down for Okay, Rick. Uh, hi, can you hear me? Can yes. Okay. Um, so the re here with the uh, revia on it is the same uh, re in re with the same revia on it. I just wanted to point that out. And and there it's about the future. Um, see the blessing and the curse that I'm putting before you way in the future. So. Um, I wanted to throw that in there. Oh, you mean Parshat Ray? Yes. Yes, got yeah. it. Okay. It's the same word with the same trope. And um, so I, that connects in my head. And it's a, it's a resonance of uh, looking into the future. 
Yeah. Good. Uh, very good. Right. I'm also very aware of the word anochi, um, as opposed to ani, that Pharaoh, um, uh, likes to say anochi and, and God, of course, says anochi. It's all about, uh, the importance of that word there. Um, yeah. Whereas and, uh, here it's ani. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but when Pharaoh was talking, uh, he calls himself Anochi, like God, because he wants to be a God, that mm. kind of thing. Thanks, Rick. Tova? Um, yes, it just occurred to me when you clarified with the text uh, how the uh, staff and serpent actually happened before Pharaoh, which was Moshe apparently instructing Aharon to do it. That resonated with the, the part the Pasuk we studied earlier that um, Moshe was to be an Elohim, whatever that is, to Aharon. Yeah. So that in a sense, part of what he's taken is the ability to, in, if you will, instruct Aharon in Moftim. In, and yes, it's, it is different because, because of that, but it still reflects this entire conversation. That's great, Tova. You could even push it one step further and say that one of the Moftim that by then I will have placed in your hands is right. the ability to teach someone how to do a Mofet. Exactly. Yeah. Wonderful. That's a, Wonderful. That's a great, that's a great read. Larry, Diane? First of all, that showing of Millie was for Renee. Who keeps, Millie, thank you. Yes. Who keeps, who keeps saying, where is she? So I was trying to show Renee, but you all saw her too. Um, it was Thomas Jefferson, I think, who used to go through his Bible and use a razor to cut out the parts he didn't like and put put put, put piece, piece things back together. And I'm not even close to being at the stage where I think I can actually re-piece things, but I'm going to go back to what I say all the time. Take this pasuk and put it after the end of um, 17, I think it is, Yeah, where God is talking to Moshe without the Yitro part and all that. And this is like a natural consequence, a natural following. And I think that by by going, going off in the Rashi tangent about the past, blue, perfect, whatever it is, of whether he, whether it was the, the signs that he did before or put him as him, we missed the point. And the point is the before the etnachta and etnachta of this of this phrase, God is saying when you go back to Egypt, you're going to do all these signs for Pharaoh. Forget what these signs are. They're all the miracles you're going to do. He said, make sure that you do these things. Why? Because I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. You may stop. You may be, you may be frustrated and tempted to say, oh, it's not worth it. This guy's not listening to me, but I want to make sure that you do all these, these things I put in your, in your hand, in your power, and you not be distracted by the fact that Pharaoh is going to be not responding to them because I'm the one that's making him not responding to them. Mm. And as far as I can see, nobody's looking at that juxtaposition of these two parts of the, uh, of the Pasuk. It's fascinating, Larry, uh, two comments. First comment is just on the Jefferson thing. And I'm not a Jefferson scholar. I, I was always in a depression. It might be a misimpression, not that he was doing like cutting and pasting to reorder, but that he was basically just reducing the new Testament to just what Jesus said rather than what, um, that, that if you read a Jeffersonian Bible, it was basically just Jesus's words and without some of the 
um, the, the the commentary on them. But I could be wrong about that. But that that has nothing to do with anything. But I just was. Oh, no, no, you you you're you're kind of right. And I'm not an expert either. He took out the miracles. He right. took out all the things that he thought were not believable. Right. And he and he focused on the on the memrods and the statements. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. If 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 uh, Rick wanted to color coat um, this section not by truck but by um, by order of plot, right? He might say to you, Larry, like that it's kind of A B A B, and that A ends at the end of verse seventeen, and then there's a B section that's Vayelech Moshe all the way up to uh, our verse twenty one, and that twenty one is back to A. Right. And as soon as that section is over, then we're back to B again. Right. Because what we're about to get is more of the journey. So we had seemingly the end of God's speech to Moshe and then a little bit about journey on a donkey and going back and then another addendum of speech and then more on the journey. Right. So um, as I said last week, I am not aware of, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. um, You know, classic 19th century biblical critical theory on this chapter, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's a lot of focus on it, because the, the stitching seems, seems more obvious, or we can say the, 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 the stitching together that the Holy one did to make this text as rich as it is, uh, is making an impression on us. Uh, Joanna or Larry day, anything else? Nope. Thank you. So I have a funny thought about, you know, this thing that we're seeing here about the Psukim kind of, appearing to be out of order and we somehow want to restitch them. And um, what we were talking about a little bit last time about why the shout out that Moshe has the staff in his hand and, you know, it's a shout out to like, now he's fully a prophet. This is where his role as a prophet begins. And I'm just going to jump ahead because for me, this is a little clearer in the book of Deuteronomy, where I get a little lost sometime in all of Moshe's speeches when every time he says you, is that you, the generation that came out of Egypt with him? Is that you, the people that are standing in front of him now? Or sometimes I really feel like that that you is... Moshe knows he's about to die, and this is his last chance to leave an imprint on the future of the Jewish people, and he's talking to, like, the reader today. Mm. And I'm almost wondering here if some of these verses that we're reading now, are they really meant to be a record of the plot, or they're meant to say something to us, the modern reader? So it's not about being out of sequence, but in the way that that staff was a call out to you know, be aware now Moshe is a real prophet. And almost Rashi's comment itself feels like it's talking to us, the reader. Don't you, the reader, be confused now by the past tense. If this is another call out, see here, Moses can already see ahead. He's gotten this prophecy from God and he can see ahead, you know, go into the rest of the story knowing here, you know, Moses is a full prophet. He's hmm. come into his Nivua. And it's almost more of a message to us, the reader, than to really record what was happening at the time. Hmm. What's really helpful about that comment, Joanna, is that the extent to which we think the Torah has any more meaning than any other ancient tome, unless we are convinced that it came word for word from the heavens, is that we believe 
that then it was always meant to be a timeless text. And so that even though whoever that they were couldn't anticipate us, they were anticipating the concept of us. And therefore, in, in almost every verse where character A is speaking to character B, and even though character A is God, that all of them are speaking are speaking to us. And that's why Midrash is alive. And that's why you can give a Dvar Torah. And that's why um, we're still, we're still uh, you know, studying this text like a love letter. I think about a wonderful turn that my teacher, Peter Pizzoli, does when he leads a bibliodrama, um, which I can only do when I'm not doing it on Shabbat because it involves writing. So if you've ever been in a bibliodrama with me, it's, you know, I, you know, I set the scene and I say, you know, uh, you are Moses. God has just said to you, behold, uh, look at all the signs that I've put in your hands and do them in front of Pharaoh. You're Moses. You're standing there. You've just heard these words. What's 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 going on for you in this moment? And we get Moshe's popping up around the room, speaking as Moshe in the first person. Right. And consciously, if you ask those people in the moment what they thought they were doing, they would say they're animating a character called Moshe. Right. Um, a part two of an interesting bibliodrama, which I can do that on Shabbat, is after a half an hour long bibliodrama, I give people a piece of paper or the computer and I say, think of something that you said in character in this bibliodrama, or if you were never placed in character, that you are imagining in your head because everyone is thinking about something. Um, and write a, um, write a paragraph write out or two paragraphs in the voice of, of, of one of the characters that spoke in the bibliodrama, whether it was you or someone else so that. And I have them read it out and I say, okay, now look at what you wrote as Moses or as God or as Aaron, as Pharaoh and write in what way that's a reflection on something that is true for you, the person, right? Because anytime we are um, acting something out, and I would suggest that this is probably true for actors themselves, which is why, um, um, the, why acting can sometimes lead to a certain mania and wonder who you are, right? Uh, uh, because when, when there you, you maybe lose the thread in good acting from who is the actor and who is the part being acted, that a reverse process is happening in one of these Billy dramas or in a psychodrama where as you are articulating something as Moses, you're actually also deep di- dipping into something deep uh, that is, that is true about you or true to you. The ancients couldn't have anticipated this exact process, but I do like the, the only reason I spend so much of my life focused on these words is because I believe without proof that there was something about the coming together of this text, from whatever its sources that was meant to be informing and shed shining light on our lives and relationships and understandings of the world even to today. So it's hard to pinpoint exactly where it is, but you could say on a meta level, all these verses are speaking to Moses and to Joanna and to Larry and to Rick and to Tova and to me. Um, and if, if, and if it's not the case, or if we didn't live as if it were the case, then we just should, we should read, you know, Shmot one year and then Homer another year and, um, and some ancient text another year. And they're all, um, equally uh, interesting in terms of shining light on our circumstances. And one can make the argument that maybe that's actually worth doing in a religious context. We focus on this particular text. Um, so really- in a Shivim Panim Litorah kind of way, it's also fascinating how, you know, 
we never tire of coming back to the text because, um, you know, we're, we always find new things. And I think in part that's because we're shaped by the experiences and who we've become from the last time we looked at it until today. So it would be like almost fascinating to do like a bibliodrama exercise on the same text spread out over time and see how that changes. I tell every bar by mitzvah kid that if they were right, that what day of the week they start writing their drash on a level that they're not aware of will impact what they end up saying, right? Like it's, it, it's, it's not, it's a, it's a constantly shift because we're constantly shifting. Our interpretation of anything is constantly shifting. If I started to teach this class today at nine instead of eight thirty, the whole class would be different. And that's an obvious thing to say, but sometimes it's worth, um, it's worth mentioning, right? Um, it, you know, it, without getting into too much detail in the same way that whenever that, that who each of us is literally like who, who, who we are as opposed to anyone else on the planet is impacted by obviously who our parents are, but even when our parents had the urge, right. And that we would be, we would never have known it, but we would be an entirely different person had the act that, that produced the conception of us been 10 minutes later or, or, or whatever. Right. So you can, you can get, lost in that kind of thinking because it, it can lead to a certain um i don't know a certain nihilistic understand, understanding of whether anything means anything but yes our reading of text is impacted in real time by by not only by who we are in all of our collective experiences of until now but who we are in this moment compared to half an hour ago and a half an hour from now um nine o'clock version of the recording of this class what's that barry we watch the recording of the nine o'clock version of this class. <laughs> you can watch it at nine thirty and see see your reaction to it. Okay, uh, anything else in verse twenty one? Going once, going twice. Okay, uh, let's go to verse uh, twenty two. Whom have we not heard from today? Andy, you want to read verse twenty two? Cuff bet. Okay, one second. Via Marta el Paro. Ko Amar Adonai Bini Vichori Yisrael. And you will say to Paro, this is what God has said, uh, that uh, Yisrael is uh, my firstborn. Great. So there's no better way of translating it. Uh, The words make sense. Um, If you read the verse quickly, you could say to yourself, all right, what's what's going on in the next verse? A quick look at Rashi without looking at the content of Rashi shows that Rashi has two things in this verse that are making him say, hmm. So let me ask all of you, but without looking at Rashi yet, what might be bubbling up in this verse that makes you ask a question? Because the words seem to make sense. You should say to Pharaoh, this is what God has said. Um, my son, um, or Israel is my son, my firstborn. Joanna. Two things come to mind. One, first of all, the word Bechori jumps out and is a, is a recall back to Breshit. And the other is, it's very interesting um, in the, I, I'm not sure if there's really a nuance here, but some translations have Israel is my firstborn son and others have my firstborn son is Israel. And does the order matter? Hmm. Uh Right. What's the, you know, it's, it's a, it's an intransitive verb because it's the verb to be. So there's not really a subject and an object in the same way, but, but does it matter if we're saying Israel is this or my son, my firstborn is Israel on the first point you said, so Bechor is evocative to so much of Breshit, right? The whole primogeniture 
um, quagmire that keeps coming up. Um, I'll, I'll give away the story a little bit. And, and Ra- one of the questions that Rashi is going to ask is, what does Bahor mean in this verse? Because like Bahor means um, firstborn, but does that make sense here? And, and if it doesn't mean firstborn, what else can it mean? Uh, remember that in Hebrew, the root bet chaf resh can refer to lots of things that are firsts, not only firstborn. Like on Shavuot, we have chag ha-bikurim, same root. Uh, there's a dagesh in the kaf, so it's bikur, not bachor. And those are the first fruits. So they're not firstborn in any way that makes sense. But the root has to do with primacy um, or maybe significance um, not just the first to emerge from a womb. Good. So that's that's uh, a bunch of things we can think about in this verse. Uh, Norman or Rachel? The tense is, I mean, why would he say, why would he start off by saying this? It seems like Pharaoh has to have already turned him down before he would say what he's saying. Uh, beautiful. Baruch Shekibanta, right? If you, if particularly... If you look, if you cheat and look at the next verse, which will go eventually, we have to slowly, it's going to say, that you, Pharaoh, have refused to release them. And to which you could say, well, when? If, if what's being described here is the first encounter with Moshe and Pharaoh, when had Moshe, when had Pharaoh refused to let them go? This was his first opportunity. So one question that you asked that Raji asked in the verse is when is th- this seems to be God saying to Moshe, this is the first thing you should say to Pharaoh, but that doesn't logically follow because within that sentence are things that, that suggest that there already been an encounter. So very good pickup. Uh, Tova. Sorry. Uh, this is as much a question as a comment. Is it, uh, is it necessary to have both Bani and Bechori? Isn't the, the notion of a son and a firstborn son contained within Bechori? And if, if so, yeah. why, why include both? Great. And that could add like substance to the question of what Bechor means, because if right. Bechor means firstborn, then Bani is redundant. Wonderful. And so, so then what else could Bechor mean such that the word Bani is not redundant? Great. Wonderful question. Larry, Diane, then Rick? Oh, I'm on the same wavelength. I'm reading the translation of, of Alter. And he says, um, and you should say to Pharaoh, thus said the Lord, my son, comma, my firstborn, comma, is Israel. So, and then I'm reminded of um, the Akedah, Kachna et Bincha, at Yechidecha, at Yerahavta, at Yitzchak. Now, the second one is not true. It's not his only son. And in the same way, Yisrael, in the sense of being Yaakov, is certainly not the, the Bechor. So there's a parallel there between, I think, between what God is telling Moses and what God told, told Abraham. Telling him, he's identifying either the son or the people with three terms, Yes. One, one of which is not quite accurate. And uh, that's the way in which Alter reads it. I like that. Did, uh, how does Arya Kaplan read that verse? Uh-huh. Arya Kaplan says, um, you, must tell, you must say to Pharaoh, this is what God says. Israel is my son, my firstborn. 
Hmm. So it's completely different, and it's much more in keeping with most of the other translations. Right, and JPS actually combines them. So the JPS translation in the Eitz Chaim Kumash, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, right? Smushes <laughs> together the Bani Bechori. Um, I didn't bring my Everett Fox home with me, so it's still the office. Renee, do you have Everett Fox in front of you to see how he reads this verse? Yes, which verse? Do you have? The, read read chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 22. Then you are to say to Pharaoh, Thus says my son, my firstborn is Israel, exclamation. My son, my firstborn is Israel. So that's, so, so going back to Joanna's comment, like all these translations are, I forgot what I said already, are, are playing with subject and object a little bit. And, and they don't mean, it's like, it's the difference between saying something has a different meaning versus a different feeling, right? Like the, the, the data is the same, but what's being emphasized, maybe you could say is changed by where you put, uh, the, the the Israel and the son uh, in the verse. He also has a footnote yeah. to the firstborn. He says the use of this image is a statement of emotional force, not actual primacy of birth or antiquity, as Israel was a comparative latecomer in the ancient Near East. Good. So that is going to be, that comment will be a cousin to what Rashi says uh, in a little bit. Uh, Rick? Please. So I was something similar to what Renee just said. I was going to back away from the order of the words and just think about the statement itself is sort of a metaphorical statement, which is odd. Um, I mean, up up until now, it's been kind of direct speech aimed at Pharaoh, and now all of a sudden we're talking in some kind of a, a metaphorical sense about Israel as a son which is just, it's odd. Yeah, good. Um, the more you look, the more a verse that seems to make simple sense exposes its oddities. Uh, good. Rick and then Barry. Okay, hi. So um, it's the same two words um, in the next sentence, bincha v'chorecha at the end. And neither of them, he actually says in front of Pharaoh, as far as I I remember he, he never says Bini Vichori. Um and um I need to throw it in today because it just happened last week. Um if if you'll allow me, um the only tour reading I did, the only piece I did last week was um uh um in bow was uh, uh forty-three to fifty-one and um it's about the laws of Passover and Himol there uh, is very important and it's about the firstborn and it needs, he needs to be circumcised and all that. And um, it, it, uh, it just shouts out to me. There's, there's gear in there and, and the circumcision and, and it, it goes to Gershom. And I just had to say that I read by chance, that was the one Aliyah I was given to do and and it's all there. Um, and so I don't know if Sipora knew about all that, but um, again, it's Bani and Vichori. And um, I had to say that. Good. And that adds to what Joanna put in the chat, which is not only can we ask whether or not the Ben and the Bechor are mutually redundant, but is the ending on each word, the Bani and Bechori, once you have one Mai, do you need two Mai's? 
uh, my my. Uh, Barry uh, and then Sue. Well, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I I seem to recall God's prophecy to Rivka about the tumbling in her that she's carrying that the. Um, uh, I, I the two the two boys were 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 racing inside of her. The the, the the prophecy from the beginning would be that Yaakov would be the firstborn in God's eyes. Yeah, but Ravi avoids that here. Yeah. So this, this is basically it's it's nothing new. This is uh, there's nothing dramatic here. Yeah. Good, Sue. Well, my comment was going to be really weird until Barry just said that because um, I was thinking. I mean, it, it we don't have. Um, B'ni B'chori Am Yisrael or B'nai Yisrael or anything like that. We've got Yisrael, which it, it feels like it's a look back at the, at the kind of, um, the winner, Yitzhak, um, of the, of the whole, of the whole fight and some kind of reminder that this is, this, this is how it all lands. I'm, I'm, we're, we're on this line and, and, you know, like a, a a shadow of of what came before, and a reminder of Israel, not Am Israel or Bnei Israel, but Israel. Right, and if we combine what Norm has said and what Barry has said and what Sue has said in this verse, we don't need to read Rashi because you've already covered it all, uh, which is great. It means that you're that we're we're really aligned with Rashi's mind. But that's it, that, that, what Barry and Sue just put together is very similar to how Rashi's going to read. He's just going to bring us to other verses in Tanakh, which prove that point, but wonderful. Uh, Tova, and then I want to share another verse with you. Okay. Um, I admit I was glancing ahead to the next verse, which for me cast a light on this one, that in a way this seemed to come out of nowhere, but in another way it really is lying the, laying the foundation of the argument that Moshe is going to make over and over again, that we need to be allowed to go to serve God. and by this claim that this that this is my son, this is my bechori, whatever that is, it it implies a first obligation to God. Mm. Uh, and in the next verse, he's, he's uh, you know you, that you have to allow them to come and serve me and worship me. This is if you have preempted something that is owed to me. You have made them your servants. They were supposed to be my servants. You have to, and so it's laying the foundation of of the argument that's going to be made to Pharaoh to let them go. Very nice. Very nice. Um, let me share with this verse with you. And this is going to be a little Rorschach test. My, my question is going to be, why do you think I'm sharing this verse with you? So hold on. So this is the beginning of Parshat Vayishlach. Uh, so the, the, the reunion after Yaakov has been outside the land of Israel for many, many years and making his family with Esav Verse four, not the verse I want to share with you, but just to give context, Yaakov sent messengers in front of him, El Esav, Echiv, towards Esav, his brother, Artsa Seir, towards the land of Seir, Sedei Edom, in the fields of Edom. This is the verse. This is what Yaakov said to his malachim, his messengers, not his angels. This is what you should say to my master, speaking in kind of, Modest language with respect to Esav. This is what you should say to Esav. Ko amar This is what your servant. So Yaakov referring to himself as a servant to Jacob. This is what Jacob has said. Im Lavan garti. I've been hanging out with Lavan ba'echar adata, and I delayed up until now. 
Can anyone think of a connection between the verse we're chewing on and this verse? Joanna, you're still uh, muted. Yaakov is to Moshe as Esav is to Paro. Okay, say more about that. Um, I mean, it's basically the same thing happening here. Yaakov had dwelt in a foreign land for a period of time, was now coming back um, to the land where he belonged and um, was encountering an adversary to, to, to having that happen. Good. So if we were in the 1980s version of the SATs, we could, we could make that, um, what do they used to call those? The analogies? Analogies. Analogies, right? Okay, good. I'll get back to that in a second. Norm, Rachel? That each had been hanging out with his respective father-in-law. That hmm. Moshe was in Midian, and Yaakov was with Lavan, wherever that was. Um, Aram. In Aram, okay. And uh, that was a maturing experience for each of them, respectively. Good. So both uh, Rachel and Joanna went um, uh, to connect the two verses on storyline, which is really wonderful. And it strengthens or is strengthened by the language. So the reason why I am brought to this verse is by the Kotomrun and the Ko'amar, right? In our verse... We have God putting into Moshe's mouth the phrase ko amar adonai, that says God. And if you're familiar with the Torah and certainly with the Haftarot, that becomes the call sign for prophecy. Ko amar adonai, thus, thus saith the Lord, right, is how a prophecy begins. If I'm, if I, I think I'm correct in this, but I'm not a certain that I'm correct in this, that our verse in Shemot is the first time that God uses ko amar adonai with respect to God the first of hundreds of times in the, in, in the Bible. And I believe this verse in Genesis is the first time it's used at all, right? So what we have here linguistically, stylistically, is the Torah slash God taking language that up until now has been the way that a human being has, you know, has sent a message forward through a, um, you know, by dispatching a messenger saying, this is what my master has said. And now this is God using co-opting uh, the language and it, that's going to be the you know hashtag co-amar for god throughout many of the verses that we're familiar with uh, in torah and in the hafsa road that we know um but i love that uh, joanna and rachel also connected uh, the the storyline um as a as a through line as well wonderful norm rachel um i think it's also it's informing pharaoh in our current verse that um, I'll behave respectfully to you, Pharaoh, because after all, you're Pharaoh, but I am, you know, my boss is Hashem. Um, and in the same way, um, the, the messengers from Yankov are going to say that, um, you know, we'll call you my Lord Asav. I don't need Asav, but we're really here speaking for Yaakov. He's our boss, mm. not you. <laughs> yeah, which which also then connects to the before, the before comment that I said before about who, who Barry's notion that Yaakov, even if he came out second, was the before, right? So that that it actually more Yaakovizes our verse. Wonderful. 
Okay, so having kind of some sort of anticipated Rashi, let's actually see what Rashi says in his own words. We may get to one, probably not both of these comments. Uh, Andy, you are reading. Okay. Um, via Marta El Paro. So when you hear uh, that his heart is hardened and he refuses to send B'nai Israel, that's when you will say your piece about the Bechor. Good. So responding to the first thing that uh, Norm said in this verse, reader, lest you think this is the first thing that Moses is going to say to to Pharaoh, it can't be because the next verse says that in that sentence you should say you have refused. We're basically it's it's, it's hard to put together. God is anticipating a future encounter between Moshe and Pharaoh, but the second paragraph of said encounter, right? So you're going to stand before Pharaoh, God, Moses, and you're asking to let him go. He's not and, and he's and he's not going to agree to. Now we get to the verse, and, and what should you say to him then? This is your response to the initial refusal by Pharaoh, that initial refusal, which we know is going to happen, but God isn't including in this prophecy, right? So it just, it, 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 it deals with a potential um, um, tense and content question in the verse that Norm was referencing before. Norm, Rachel? No? Hand? Nothing. Okay. Uh, Joanna? Fascinatingly, when you brought up Kotomar and the resonance of that, I was like, I've heard that before recently in this class. Where? And I was like mining my brain and flipping back in my humash, and I found it. And it's fascinating where it is. God says, Ayah, Asher, Ayah. And then immediately after says, um, Kotomar El Bene Yisrael. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's not in the language of Ko'amar because it's future tense, not past tense. So m- m- might it be better to say that the one you just found is the first time that God is using that language that's going to become so common? I think our verse is the first Ko'amar, but it could be that the verse you have brought us back to um, is, is the first use of the idea, but not the exact um, um, words. What, that's chapter I, can, I, can, I jump, can I jump in here for a second? Yeah. So Safari allows you to, to search, and Safari is smart enough to search regardless of the tense. Okay. So uh, Joanna's right. Uh, verse 15, chapter 3, is the first time that you've got the Kotamar, and then the Hashem is separated by El Bene Israel. Um, but the, the phrase itself appears 448 times in any form in the Tanakh, and it occurs. 16 times in the Torah, 14 of those times are in Shemot, and two times are in Bamidbar. Um, that's, that's just Ko-Amar or Ko-Tomar or any combination of Ko and the verb any, Amar? Any, vari- any variation. If you, I, I don't, I'm not smart enough to know how to ask it to only but, search for Ko-Amar. Right, but, but that, that excludes the verse that we saw in Breshit, right? That, because, the, because the verse we just looked at in Breshit has Ko-Amar Abdechai, I don't know. Oh, so maybe that's the, the Ko-Amar and God. Yeah, I, I included, I included Got Yudhei Vavhei. Got it. Got it. Cool. Um, all right. Uh, I don't see any hands up. Let's, let's begin Rashi's ref, 
working on the word bini b'chori, um, but we're not going to finish it. Okay. Well, maybe we'll. We'll see. Andy? Bini uh, b'chori. Lashon gedula. Exalted language. As opposed to what? What's the, what, what how, Rashi is coming down on what side of the argument we're having before. This mer- word means gedula as opposed to? The literal versus non-literal. Right. So reader, you who are wondering about whether or not this means before firstborn, I got, I, Rashi, am telling you, yeah, the word before can mean firstborn, but it can also mean import. It can mean primacy and significance, not just primacy in order. So this is Rashi in two words resolving a question. Before here means greatness. Kimmo. Kimmo afani before and nehu. Uh, as it says in Tehillim, uh, I have made you the before. Good. Uh, so I'm going to show you the verse and with the, 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 the sort of the problem of using proof texts that have been translated is that sometimes the translation that we happen to be looking at in the proof text undermines the, the way the proof text is being used in the verse. So Rashi is clearly bringing this verse from Psalms to show you that before can mean something besides firstborn except that in this particular translation of Psalms and Safaria, uh, I, I, don't, I think it's JPS, I'm not sure, they use the word firstborn. But if you kind of ignore the, um, 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 the if you ignore, ignore the English, okay, I guess I could just take the English out for a second, just to make it even easier. Um, okay. Um, so this is um, imagining a, conversation between King David, who is the, oops, where did that go? The uh, purported author of Psalms, uh, verse 28, uh, no, he, David, will call me father, uh, he will say, you are my father, uh, you are the rock of my deliverance, and I, God, will say back to David, I have placed you in the status of Bechor, um, uh, above all of the kings of the land. Rashi's reading this verse, unlike JPS, to say not that God is saying to David, you're my firstborn, because in what way does it even make sense to say that King David is the first? He's not even the first king. So Rashi's saying, what does Bechor mean in this, in this verse? You're the most important. You're, you're, you're number one on the list, which is different than the first to emerge chronologically. So it bring that into our verse. We have Rashi saying that, um, what Moshe is going to say in God's name in front of Pharaoh is not that the Jewish people are the firstborn of what, what does it even mean? Rather, the Jewish people are the top of, of my list in this moment. I am focusing on Israel first, Pharaoh. Okay, uh, I know we're past the time. Uh, yeah, let's leave it as a as a cliffhanger because we'll see Rashi's Rashi kind of almost disagrees with himself or gives him a davarach his own davarachir. It could also mean something else when we meet next week. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.